ready for a word this morning. All right, so we are in a series right now called Let It Go. And it's not because we're a bunch of Frozen fans around here. Uh, it's because the heart of the series is built around a biblical principle. The biblical principle is, uh, that, and Jesus teaches this in many different places, that there are certain things if we will be willing to let go of or lay down here in this worldly experience, that there are heavenly things that we'll actually be able to lay hold of, right? So that's the biblical overarching principle. And then we look at that principle, like many other biblical principles, and they begin to kind of get dialed in and applied with greater levels of specificity in our lives, right? Let me give you an example. Well, I don't know if this will make sense to you, but I was thinking about this yesterday. Um, let's say we're in a building. We say, well, we're in the main building. That would be true. We could get more specific and we could say, well, in this building, we're on the second floor. So now we're being even more specific. We're in the main building, but we're in the second floor. But then we could say we're in the second floor. We're in room 202, right? All those things would be true. I'm in the main building, I'm in second floor, and I'm in room 202. But you're kind of getting down to greater layers of detail, so in this principle of, there, God says, if you're willing to let go of things in this world, I'm telling you, you'll be able to lay hold of things that are actually coming from a heavenly realm. And then we get into the detail of that, like last week, part one, we said, if we're willing to let go of the need to have material things, that would be room 202, specificity, let go of the need to have material things that Jesus says, you'll actually lay hold of greater heavenly treasure. Make sense? And, and we saw that King Ahab was our character in focus last week, how he was willing to trade vineyard for a vegetable garden. He was willing to let go of what represented God's fertility, God's provision, God's promises, God's supernatural abundance, and God being the one that sustained it. He was willing to let all of that go to lay hold of something material, which was the vegetable garden that man would cultivate, man would irrigate, man would take care of, not God, and that represented a very limited portion of the blessing that God actually had in store for him. So material things, if we're willing to let go of the need to have them, gotta have it, gotta have it, no, I don't need that, I only need Christ, then I could actually position myself now to lay hold of the greater things that Jesus wants to release to us. So that was last week. Today, part two, we're going to talk about something else we need to let go of in order to lay hold of something greater, and that is the need to be seen. The need to be seen. Uh, and I'm particularly excited about this one because I feel like it's just been like a revolving door lesson that the Lord has continued to take me through. And... Um, I want to go through, let's begin actually in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. Jesus lays out a parable, and he lays out a parable to teach a principle, as he often does. The backdrop before we start reading here is that there is a Sabbath celebration. You know, that was every week. And one of the Pharisees, the story tells us, is, is throwing the feast, having the feast at his home. And many are invited to the feast, and they invite Jesus to come, but their reasons for inviting Jesus are pretty 
manipulative. They're trying to trip him up. They're trying to catch him in some kind of an act so that they can bring him down. So Jesus is there at the feast, and here's what ends up happening. He, he breaks this parable down, starting in verse 7. Do we have the scriptures up? Are we not able to put those up? So just if you don't have a Bible, just kind of like snuggle up next to the person beside you. If you know them, if you don't, don't do that, actually. I say, let me, let me peek over your shoulder there. Uh, verse 7, so Jesus told a parable to those who were invited, and he noted how that they chose the best places, saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. And listen to this last statement. We'll come back to this at the end of the message. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. That's an awesome statement, isn't it? We're going to dig into that a little bit later here. But Jesus is addressing two groups of people. He's, in, he's addressing the guests who are there, and then he's addressing the host of the, of the party. And I always love looking at these details of, a, of Scripture, and one of the things I see is this contrast between two teachers. Jesus is the master teacher, right? He's rabbi, but he's here and he's teaching a lesson in the midst of supposed teachers. That's the Pharisees. They're supposed to be the teachers of Israel. They're supposed to be the ones instructing the people in the ways of God. And then let me say this, they should be representing that to them. They should be living that way. But Jesus comes along and he does like he often does. He says, we're going to compare two things. Uh, there's the world's way and then there's my way. And so then the Pharisees, they represent a teacher of the world's way. And then Jesus represents the teacher of God's way, of the kingdom way. And then we get the opportunity to look at this and then decide. This is why I love scripture. It instructs, it clarifies. We get the opportunity to look at this and say, which side do I want to be on? Like anything, right? I see the world has a way of operating. Do I want to go by that way or do I want to go by God's way? Because they're, they're almost always polar opposite, right? And then we get to decide. Here's the thing to keep in mind, and you probably already know this, but the world's way is lived by sight. That's typically what kind of makes sense to the rational, natural mind in any era of time. Yeah, that makes sense to today's logic. But the supernatural way of God's kingdom usually does not make sense to the natural mind. It actually has to be laid hold of by faith, not by sight, right? So here, thank you for that tremendous response. Yes, that was great. Uh, so here's the, two, here's the two conflicting principles. 
Jesus is saying to the Pharisee, um, you, you're trying to be seen. You're trying to be known. You're trying to be seen as if that's somehow going to esteem you or validate you or give you some kind of worth in the eyes and in the presence of men. And Jesus is saying, I introduce to you a different way. And the way I'm introducing to you is to try not to be seen. Does that make sense? So think about this in a, in a question form, because in the pharisaical spirit, they're often bound up by pride, and the need to be seen, uh, pride drives that, and pride tries to demand itself. You know people, right, where it's like they just, they're just in your face. They need to be seen, and there's really a prideful spirit behind that. But there's a subtle form of this that's not quite as overbearing, and and I think it's something that we all need to take note of is a temptation that we will face, especially if God is elevating us to greater places of influence. We're going to face this temptation, and that subtle form is just an unhealthy need for validation, an unhealthy need to be seen by men. Does that make sense? So the first point I want to do, and we're just going to contrast these two things which is man's way and God's way. So number one is man's way or the world's way. He says, um, you know, you come into the party and this is the world's way is you come in and then you would try to find the best seat, the most prominent seat, the most important seat. And then you try to take that seat for yourself so that you can be seen. Let's not kid each other. That's the motive, Right? And, uh, and he calls that out. He said, and here's what ends up happening when that motive drives it. Uh, there's a good chance that the host, the party, is going to come along because somebody else comes in that actually they think needs that seat, and then they're going to ask you to move and go down to a lesser seat. Oh, how embarrassing, right? He says, shame sets in. How embarrassing. So what's, what, what started to try to drive them to do one thing, which is to be seen, actually backfires, has the opposite effect. They're seen, but in a, a way that they don't want. And that's how the, that's always how the bait, if we take the bait of the world's way, that's always how it works. It seems one way, but then it backfires and ends up affecting us in a totally different way. He says, that's, that's how it is. There's, there's really, I think there's kind of this deep rooted thing in the flesh of man that just kind of has this need to say, look at me. It's in the flesh, right? Not in the spirit, but in the flesh. Look at me. And the prophet Jeremiah makes this clear, and he addresses the nation of Israel corporately, kind of rebukes them and calls them out because they've fallen into this place corporately as a nation, not just individual sin, but corporately they're guilty of this. There's a message in that, corporate sin versus individual sin. But he comes to him and he says, um, and this is Jeremiah 17, he says, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Now listen to this. He says, whose heart departs from the Lord. So if our trust, our need for validation at any point begins to become an unhealthy sense where we're getting it from man instead of from God, he says, your heart is, you're, you're drifting. You're, you're being led astray in that kind of thing. And that's a dangerous place to get to. And uh, it's that unhealthy need for validation. And I think what my heart is in this message today is to help us see this and get above this. 
to see that this kind of temptation to be seen, to be recognized, to get some sort of validation for ourselves from what people think or see, it's, it's kind of a dangerous place to live. And God gives us another way, which is, he says, I want you to do things in a way where only I can see them. And we'll get to that in a second when we talk about his way. But the, one of the challenges is if somebody has an unhealthy need for validation, if they really have a motive to be seen by people in what they do, then when they are getting that, it actually puffs them up artificially in a, in a bad way. But it works the other way around. When, when it's not there, then they're brought down to a much lower level than they should be, right? And so it's, it swings to extremes on both sides. And I always think to myself, I, I don't, don't take this wrong, but I always think to myself, like you see social media posts or stuff, and people are like, uh, I don't care what you think of me. I'm, I don't need any, you know, I don't need that. And I'm, I'm heading on my own and I don't care what anybody thinks. And, you know, I always think that I think, does anybody else not see this but me? Like, I know what it says, but it screams to me, I need to be seen. <laughs> That's what I think when I see that. Like, I don't need to be seen, but I'm broadcasting it in front of everybody. I mean, it's like, I, there's this kind of unhealthy, and then I think there may be tricked. And, and deceived into thinking they don't when they actually really do. And so it's this motive that God has to really sift in our hearts, right? He's got to really get in there and do that. So listen to this, Luke eleven forty three. 43. It says, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greeting place and greetings in the marketplaces. You love to be seen by men. You love to be seen. You love to be seen as elite propped up as if you're somebody in the world's eyes around you. And he says in Matthew 23, 5, all of the works that they do, they just do them to be seen by men. That's their intention. That's their motive. They want to be seen. They want to be recognized. They want to be known for that. And he says this in Luke chapter 20, verse 46, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in synagogues, and the best places at feasts. And I take something out of this. For us, he says, beware of people like that. Right? So I think this is a message to us, God's people. He says, if there are people around you who have an unhealthy need to be seen, if they have motives like that, then you need to be aware of those people. You, you need to be cautious of how closely you connect and, and associate with people like that because here's what happens. If that's the need and that's the motive that's driving their behavior, then there is destruction that they're headed for in that and you could potentially become collateral damage, unintentionally even, but still suffer harm. Makes sense if you're too closely associated with that. He says, you need to be aware of people who operate like that. Do we need to reach them? Do we need to witness to them? Do we need to encourage them and pray for them? Absolutely. But there's a difference in just that yoking concept of how we're going to hook our, we're going to hook our chariots together and do life together closely. He's saying, you need to be really aware of people like that and how closely you associate there. Matthew chapter six, verses 16 through 18. Now he's talking about fasting. So he I'm trying to show you a lot of different scriptures around the same principle of needing to be seen. He talks about seats in 
parties. He talks about uh, fasting. He talks about need to be seen in your prayers, like all these different things, but very similar uh, application. This is what it says, verse 16 uh, in chapter 6 of Matthew. When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces. So this could be said, they intentionally make it known. They disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your feet so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So it's funny to think about this, but this, was, this would happen, and I'm, this has a context today too in our world, but when they would fast, they would behave in a way that projected that. Uh, oh, what's wrong? How are you? Oh, I'm fasting. Oh, you're so spiritual. Oh, fasting. Oh, poor you. Oh, yeah, it's so bad. I'm just so holy, you know. And uh, I'm telling you, this has an application in our world today too, right? Like we, we, we do things intentionally and dress things up so people know what's going on. I do it. You do it. We all do it. And I'm, I want us to catch it. I want us to see it and know it and stop it so that we get the greater reward, which is the one God has for us, not the one man has for us. He says here, not only, there's, there's two levels of instruction. Number one, not only uh, should you not intentionally try to be seen, but get this, number two, greater level, you should intentionally try not to be seen. Oh, this is, this is where we get strong if we grab this and live this way, okay? He says, you intentionally try not to be seen. He says to the fasting, those who are fasting, he says, anoint yourself and wash your face, which means go ahead, refresh yourself, do some things so that if you are struggling, if you are feeling weak, then you, you anoint yourself, you wash yourself, and then you go out so that it's not obvious to people what's going on, get this, between you and the Father. Between you and the Father. Do whatever you can to try not to be seen by men. Let me say it this way. Try to intentionally steer yourself out of the spotlight. And then watch and see what happens. I'm telling you, watch and see what happens. Try to intentionally steer yourself out of the spotlight of being seen and watch and see how the spiritual principle begins to show itself out in your life because what happens is God's way, number two, God's way, begins to come into play and he says it right here in those verses. He says, and then your father who sees in secret, this is what I love, I'm gonna do this in secret where people can't see. Well, guess who else is in the secret place? Father. And only you and him see. You steer yourself over here. The father sees in secret. Guess what he does? He rewards you openly. I want to encourage you in this. No promotion, no elevation, no platform that you could ever seize for yourself, that you could ever bring yourself up to, whatever compare. 
to the platform and the place of influence that God wants to take us by his hand. It pales in comparison. But what happens is, is if we make ourselves known, if we make ourselves be seen, then we have accepted the trade-off. Because you hear what he says. He says, if they, if they get seen by men, I'm telling you, that's their reward. That's the one they get. But if they don't, then guess what? They have a different reward, and that's the one that the Father gives. And you can't have both. <laughs> right? You, you can't have both. You ever go to a fancy wedding or maybe a fundraiser dinner or whatever? You know, you sit down at the table, and then the nice waiter comes along and says, uh, what will you have? Will you have the steak or the lobster? And you're like, yes. <laughs> um, thank God for surf and turf, right? <laughs> I mean, there are some things that you could get them both. This is not one of them. God says, you can have it one of two ways. You can have man's recognition and man's reward, or you can have my reward. And I promise you that God's reward is far greater, and it's pure. And it'll actually take us to places that we can never take ourselves that's kind of the irony in this whole thing. Try really hard, make it your heart not to be seen, don't need to be seen. Guess what God says? Then I will, I will actually elevate you to a place you can't take yourself. But that, your heart has to be here before I can take you here. That's the difference. I see Miss Nancy, you know, and I'm thinking about her as I'm talking in this message and, and AJ. And I think, man, you guys are like, they're perfect examples of this, Right? Y'all wouldn't know this, but they, they do so much here. Miss Nancy's over our whole First Impressions team, which is every Sunday, every weekend, both services, we have ushers, greeters, hospitality, security. All of those teams are a part of what we call First Impressions team. She sees all of that, and you know what? She just kind of moves around, and, and she is almost like undetected. She is serving, serving, serving you and me, and you don't even realize it, and she's just doing it with excellence not trying to get up and be in the spotlight, right? I guess now you kind of are. But um, <laughs> sorry, I just took your reward away. <laughs> oh, she's a wonderful example of that. And I think that there's just this, this lie, you know, that if we don't get seen, then we're going to miss out on something that, should come. Well, if they missed it, oh, they didn't see it. Oh, oh, well, I'm not going to get the outcome that I wanted. Wrong. Wrong. God says, I'd actually like you to, to try to try to do it that way. It's interesting. I, I counsel with a lot of, of people over the years, um, and one of the things I've been privileged to do is, is talk to a lot of men, you know, and work with a lot of men and a lot of times you see a situation where they're making changes in their life or whatever to lead their family better and all that. And um, as they're making these changes, this is one of the things that I, I try really hard to help them see. Say, listen, I know this is not going to make sense to the natural mind. I know this is going to seem like it, it, it doesn't, it's not rational. But everything you're doing, try not to be seen doing that. Try not to go broadcast it. Try not to go show your spouse. Try not to go show the people. Try not to be seen doing it. Just do it in secret. And I promise you, if God reveals it to them instead of you, it's going to carry a much greater blessing. 
it's gonna go so much further. World's way, God's way, right? And there's, it's just this idea, this reality for us that we've got to grasp that we live our lives for an audience of one. That's it. For an audience of one. If he's proud, if he's pleased, if he looks down and has approval, that's all that matters. It's all that matters. And what happens with men will happen with men. God's got to settle all that for us. It's all about what he thinks and what he sees. That's all that matters, right? The other day I was downstairs in the basement and I was doing a workout and uh, I heard this loud crash and thud upstairs. And you know, after the first kid, you, you kind of freak out when that happens. But six kids later, like if there's not blood and screaming, you don't really get phased by that too much anymore, you know? So there's this loud crash and I just keep on with my, with my deal. And then Dax, our son, we've got one boy of the six, he comes running down, walks over. He always likes to be, you know, around when I'm working out. He likes to try to do stuff. Dad, look at my muscles. I'm strong, you know, see how strong I am. He comes over there and goes, hey, Dad, you hear that crash upstairs? Yeah, 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 buddy, I, I did. You know what that was? I'm like, no, no, what, what was it, son? I was just trying to see how hard I could kick. Oh, I said, well, what did you kick? The wall. <laughs> yeah, I ran and just nailed it, Dad. Did you hear that? Like, well, first of all, we don't, we don't, we don't kick walls. Um, but I just got to thinking after that, and I was like, you're strong, buddy, you know? You're strong, and see, you're getting stronger, whatever. And he felt so good, you know, and he went on his way. And I got to thinking about it. I'm like, this is kind of a picture, right? This may seem like a little bit of a departure, but I want to say this today because I think it's so important, especially to dads. Like, um, you know, our, our kids and parents, parents, we have a responsibility when our kids are below an age of understanding to, ref, to represent the father to them. And to affirm them and to validate them and to help them feel secure. Because when they have that from us, this is what's interesting, that's, that's all that they need. It's everything to them. But when they don't have that, it, it's like there's this, this gaping hole, this void that they desperately try to fill with things of the world as they get older. Such a terrible path. And we have that responsibility as, as parents. But I was thinking about that as Dax went away. I'm like... And this is how my relationship with God needs to look. I, I, I care about what you think, God. Are you proud of me? Are you okay with the way I'm handling it? Are you good with the way I'm doing this? Do, are you the one that sees and, and are you pr uh, proud and is this right in your eyes? And if that be the case, then I am fully secure in who I am and in what I'm doing. And if that's accepted or if that's criticized by men, either way, I'm, I'm just okay with that. Because God saying he's proud is the only thing I need to hear for an audience of one. And you know what's awesome is? In the end, the truth always comes out. I hang on to that a lot. In the end, God says the truth will always come out. Remember that verse 14, I said, that, let's come back to that. I'm gonna reread it. It says, that if you do these things this way, Jesus said, then you will be blessed because men cannot repay you for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. 
Wow. He says it this way in Peter, uh, that the mighty hand of God will exalt you at the proper time. Okay. Spiritual maturity, spiritual strength, right? We've we got to know. God says, I'll elevate you. I'll exalt you. I'll make it all known. But you don't get to set the time clock. <laughs> you, you, don't get to, you don't get to set the calendar on this one. Okay. Another level of letting go. And in these verses, he says, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Let me explain to you what that means. And he says these things in other parts of Scripture. But here's what he says. In the end, at the day of judgment, at the time when God returns, at the time when the eternal age is, is entering in, God will settle all things. He says, everything that was in the dark, everything that was in the light, even the intentions of everyone's heart, it will all come out. It will all be made known. Nothing hidden will remain hidden. That's a great promise, actually, especially for people of God. But here's the challenge. Some things, some things God will wait to reward us and reveal until the day of glory arrives. It might not happen here in the way we want it to. But this is the call to the Christian heart to know and believe that however God chooses to do it, that's the greater way. If we can let go of the need to be seen by the world, I promise you we're going to lay hold of a greater reward. And that's the one God's going to bring to us. Now, however he chooses to do it, however he chooses to make it known, even if it's in the day of glory, it's going to be way greater than if we tried to seize it for ourselves. I'll close by telling you this story because I want you to know if, if this is like hitting you, you're like, oh, this is kind of, I feel like I'm getting called out on this or whatever. Um, welcome to the club. <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I don't want anybody here to walk away feeling like guilty about this. I, I want you to feel strengthened. I, I want you to see this for what it is. And I want you to be able to fight against it and war against it in your life because the enemy will never stop bringing this little subtle form of bait to try to lead us astray. And I think that the further we go for God, the greater influence that we have, I think the more he's gonna try to get us and sneak this thing in on us. I was really aware of this just, a, just not even a couple months ago. All right, I wanna tell you this story because I want you to see. I know, this is, this is something God constantly has to keep working on my heart on uh, we got this new building thing happening, right? We're going to close by the end of the year. All this cool stuff's going on. God's doing great things. Only he could open these doors. I totally believe that. Totally know that. So I guess it was two months ago, somewhere around there, uh, one of the local media publications reached out to the church and said, hey, we'd like to have um, you know, Pastor Matt reach back out to us. We'd like a statement. We'd like to hear about what's going on. We want to write a review or do a press release or whatever. Really, really cool. So I'm like, oh, this is awesome, you know. God's moving. And, and I was thinking part of our vision there is to have community partners, and we want to have tenants, and we're going to have space release and all that. Like, this would be a great way to kind of circulate that word and, and generate some interest in the community. God's up to some really great things. It's really, really exciting. I'm thinking about calling them back, going through all this. And I'm just telling you, all of a sudden, at this one moment, 
there was this unhealthy thought that began to creep in. It was like, yeah, you're going to look good. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to look like you're really succeeding here. And I don't know how to explain it, except for all of a sudden I was like, that, that part doesn't feel right. I don't like this, Lord. What's, what's going on? No, 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 wait a minute, hold on. Something's not right here. I, I began to really wrestle with this. I like, dude, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't need that. I don't need that, but what's going on? But this could be good for the, it could be good for the church, but if it's for me, I don't, what, what do I do? You ever been in a place like that? Like, this was just not long ago, and I'm, I'm wrestling with this. And I was like, Lord, um, just, just take it all away. If, if it's going to, if it's going to do something in me that, that, isn't right? Just take the whole thing away, God. I don't, I don't, none of it. Just, I got to stay clear of that kind of thing. And I felt like I was laying that down. Like the unhealthy thought, yes, it did come in there, but I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I spotted it, right? I got, I got to deal with that. And I wrestled with it. And then I, I heard the Lord say as we were working through this, he said, uh, this was after I, I laid it all down and everything. He's like, son, I see your heart, and we're good. Make the call. And so I tell you that because here's what happens. God starts doing great things. He starts doing something really good. His hand is in it. And the enemy comes along with some little subtle bait like that. He says, I'm going to taint it. I'm going to make what God has made pure unpure. I'm going to wreck that thing. I'm going to sow a seed it's unhealthy, and they're going to take the bait. And then it gets in. I just want to say this. I'm really, really glad that I had to wrestle with that. I'm really thankful. Now, I don't care. I don't mind even telling you that. I'm really thankful that I had to deal with that and wrestle with that because God showed me where the right path was. He showed me how to deal with that thing. And we're all people. And I think we need to know that this potential unhealthy need for validation to be seen, to be recognized, to be somebody in the eyes of men, instead of as John the Baptist understood, I need to decrease so that he may increase if they're going to look at me and I only want them to see Jesus in what they look at. And this is the beautiful part of what God says. He says, oh, I'm going to use you, but it's going to be in a way because your heart remains pure and in the right place where I'm going to take you up and I'm going to elevate you, but when people see it, they're actually going to see me through what I'm doing in you. And that's the place that God wants to take us to. I believe that's the place of godly influence. Amen? Amen. I want to invite you to just bow your heads and close your eyes here as we close. <clears throat> and look, just have a moment with God right now, you and him, the Holy Spirit. How does this landing on you, where, where is this hitting at in, in your life? So many different ways it could. But I really pray today for strengthening in the body of Christ in this area.
I pray right now in Jesus' name for a strengthening of identity, a strengthening of whose we are and who we belong to, a strengthening of security, confidence in these things. So there be no need to be seen by men. That we would live our lives for an audience of one. Because when we don't need to be seen, when we can intentionally steer ourselves out of the spotlight, we find freedom. Because to need, as Jeremiah said, cursed is the man who trusts in him. To need the approval of men, it is a form of bondage. It is a prison. And I pray today that if that be the case, that it would be broken off of each and every life here right now. In Jesus' name. If you're here this morning and you want to know what freedom really is, you want to know where true freedom comes from, and you say, Pastor, I don't know if I've ever really given my life to Christ. I don't know if I've ever really gave up my life and laid it down fully. Maybe I believed in some of the thoughts or the teachings, but I can't say I've ever really said to Jesus, I let go of my whole life. You lay it down. Let go of the world, everything it has to offer. So I can lay hold of that pearl of great price. That's you, the one treasure that counts. If you're here today and you want to give your life to Christ, you want to lay your life down in this world so that you can lay hold of what he has for you, I want to invite you to make that decision, to offer up a prayer to the Lord as a confession of your heart that you want to turn your life over to him. And maybe you're here and feel like you've done that in the past, but you're kind of in a place where somehow you got off course, you got into a, down a track that led you the wrong way, and you need to get back to that place of walking closely with Christ, letting go. Maybe somewhere along the way, you kind of started to put your hand back on things of this world. Either of those would describe you. You need Christ today. This is a fresh start. This is a new beginning. This is a new day. I want to pray with you. You say, Pastor, that's me. I need that. Would you just, on the count of three, raise your hand? I want to see who we're praying with. Lead you in this prayer. God, meet you where you are. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. One, two, three. Anybody in this house? Yes, I need that prayer today. Lord Jesus, yes, ma'am, I see your hand. God bless you. Anybody else? Just let this be the confession of your heart. Lord, I come to you today humbly. And I feel like some things I need to let go of. I need to lay my life down. Maybe there's some other things that have got in the way. I need to let those down. But Jesus, I believe that you are my Lord. You are my Savior. That you came in the flesh, lived a sinless life. You suffered and died on the cross. My sins, you took them on you, nailed them to that cross, God, so that I could be forgiven, and you left them there. I put my faith and trust entirely in that today. 
And I believe, Lord Jesus, that you rose from the grave. You defeated death. You were resurrected so that I too could defeat death, that I could live forever beyond this life in eternity in heaven with you. That's where my hope is, and that's what I will live for from this day on. Fill me with your spirit. God, strengthen me and lead me to become the person that you've created me to be. In Jesus' name I pray.